Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, April 26, 2020, and this is show number 781. Well, we have a special little notice to start the show. Hey, Nozilla Castaways, this is Steve. As you may have heard, Allison's podcast is coming up on its 15-year anniversary in a couple weeks. Now would be a great time to send in a short audio recording if you'd like to acknowledge Allison's accomplishment or say something interesting about the Nozilla Cast or any of the Podfeet podcasts. We'll be playing your clips on our 15-year anniversary show, so please send your input to allison at podfeet.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Well, that was fun, Steve. I appreciate you doing that little uh, preamble there. Um, I hope people do. We have gotten quite a few entries already, but the more the merrier. I think it would be a fun show to hear a lot of this. Well, this week I was on the awesome Daily Tech News Show podcast again with Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane. We covered the tech news as always, and in the discussion section, we noodled a recent study that says that kids raised with screens are not worse people overall than kids raised before screens were so prevalent. I employed Dr. Gary's advice on how to look at studies in general, and of course, we threw in anecdotal evidence to muddy the waters. It was great fun as always, and you can find the episode at dailytechnewsshow.com, and of course, there's a link in the show notes, and you can listen in your podcatcher of choice. Ken Ray, host of one of my favorite Apple podcasts, Mac OS Ken, has started a new show. He calls it In a Few Minutes. The show is an interesting format. In a given week, each day, you'll get 10 to 15 minutes of conversation with a guest. The conversations are what I might call tech adjacent. It might be about social issues tied to tech, discussions of the latest streaming show, or even some talk of Apple services and hardware. It's a very casual conversation allowed to go anywhere it wants. He records these in one sitting and then feeds out the episodes one per day. Two weeks ago, it was our good friend Barry Falk. Last week, it was Tom Merritt. And next week, it's little old me. If you go to your podcatcher of choice and search for In a Few Minutes, you'll be sure to find it. Or there's a link in the show notes to the show on Apple Podcasts. Well, you just heard the tiny tip music, but I think I maybe should call this one a Pico tip because the tiny moniker is actually too grand for it. Before I describe this tip, I do have to give credit to John Syracuse, who idly mentioned it during an episode of the Accidental Tech Podcast. It's a great show, and if you're not already subscribed to it, you might want to go check it out. You know, I mean, after you're done listening to the NoSilicast and Chit Chat Across the Pond Light and Programming of Stealth, of course. All right, the problem to be solved is quite trivial. You're in Safari and you've asked a website to download something. And uh, let's say for grins and giggles, it's a zipped up disk image for an application. You ask for the download. The new security measures ask you if you want to allow downloads from the site and you grant access. In the upper right corner of the browser window, next to the little share sheet icon, you'll see a downward facing arrow appear. Below that will be a wee tiny progress bar. For this tip to make any sense at all, let's assume it is a rather large download, like the disk image I mentioned, or that your internets aren't the speediest, so while it's downloading, you get bored and you flip over to Twitter. At least that's what happens to me if it takes longer than about three seconds. When the download is complete, your downloads folder will bounce in the dock, demanding that you pay attention. If you want to open the downloads folder to see the file you just downloaded, you have a couple of options. Remember that little icon I was telling you about that was going to take forever to download, so you wandered off? Well, it's now changed into a black circle with a down arrow on it. 
The last thing you downloaded is right there with a magnifying glass next to it. Simply tap the magnifying glass and your downloads folder will open with the latest download selected. Well, that was a really easy way to get right to the thing you just downloaded. And everybody probably already knew that, so it's not much of a tip. Not even nano tip worthy. Here's the second problem to be solved though. Because we get so easily distracted, by the time the dock icon starts bouncing, we have completely forgotten that the little icon in Safari will reveal our download in just two clicks. The new shiny bouncy thing in the dock has completely hijacked our little brains. Instead, we immediately drag our cursor to the dock because, you know, I mean, it's bouncing, right? Anyway, we click on that seductive downloads icon and what happens? Does it open the downloads folder? Nope. It brings out this annoying arced fan on screen of every single thing you've downloaded and forgotten to properly file away. Now, I know, I know, you can right-click or control-click on the downloads icon and change the view from that annoying fan view to a grid or a list, but I've never bothered to add that to my giant mind map of doom for when I rebuild a system after a clean install. I fixed it now, but instead of the annoying fan, now I have an annoying list or grid. I don't want a list of what's in my downloads. I want to open my downloads folder. All right, we're finally to the nano tip. So remember, you're just like me and that you simply cannot resist dragging your cursor down to the bouncing downloads folder. To open the folder, instead of just seeing the fan list grid view, hold down option command and click the downloads button, the downloads icon in the dock. Boom, that's the trick. Isn't that mind blowing? Command, option, click on the downloads in the dock, and it opens the, do uh, the uh, downloads folder. Well, I thought it was mind-blowing, and I've been using option, command, click on my downloads folder ever since John said it on an Accidental Tech Podcast. Now, I'm going to give you a half bonus tip. There's another way to see your downloads folder quickly, but it's not nearly as cool as option, clicking the dock icon. Command tab to the finder and type option, command, L. This will open the downloads folder. Now, you might have thought it would be Option-Command-D, but that opens the desktop. I guess downloads showed up late when they were handing out keystrokes at the macOS launch party and desktop got there first. Here's yet another related bonus tip. If you've still got Safari open and the download is completed, maybe it's way too hard to drag your cursor to the downloads icon to click it. You can use your same keystroke, Option-Command-L, to pop that little menu down to reveal your download. You still have to click on the magnifying glass. I'm not sure it's a bonus tip. Uh, like I said, maybe a half bonus tip, you know, sort of like a half snow cone. All right, I'll give you another half bonus tip. If you're focused enough to wait for the download in Safari, then click the downward arrow and click on the downloaded file name. Finder will open the downloads folder, highlighting the file you just downloaded. None of these other amazing tips, even John Syracuse's astonishing option command click tip will open downloads with your last downloaded file highlighted. However, you can make it really easy to find the last thing you downloaded in this pile of glop you keep meaning to clean out. Open your downloads uh, folder, maybe using Option-Command-L, and at the top of the window, you'll see four icons for how you want to view your files. You'll see icon view, list view, column view, and that gallery view thing they stole from the people they bought who made CoverFlow. To the right of those four icons is one for icon grouping. It's an odd little icon with two horizontal lines and three tiny squares under each line. That icon is called icon, uh, item grouping. With item grouping, you can do tricky things like having the files grouped by size. This might surface large video files, say when you're trying to triage your computer for giant files. Anyway, there's a bunch of options. 
But the one I'm talking about is date added. I keep my downloads folder grouped by date added because there is never a time that I want to open my downloads folder to find anything but that thing I just downloaded. Now, I think you got more than your money's worth with this tiny tip, even if the actual tip was really a nano tip. Well, if you don't know Barry Falk, I'm not quite sure how that happened because everybody knows Barry Falk, except uh, for some reason, Tom Merritt has never met Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is funny considering I was recording with Ken Ray and uh, I mentioned that I was reading uh, Tom's books. Oh, okay. And so this was on uh, the podcast in a few minutes. And uh, and then Tom came on the following week and Bear, and uh, uh, Ken said something like, oh, you know, Barry Folk. And he says, no, uh, I don't know Barry Folk. <laughs> it's just kind of funny because it's like saying you don't know Gene McDonald, right? Right. I mean, everybody knows Gene McDonald. You exactly. Can't, you can't not know her. Uh, it's six degrees between you, me, and, and, Alice, and uh, Gene. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh I asked Barry to come on the show because he's doing something interesting. Barry was the uh, uh, genesis of what became MacStock. He started the uh, Midwest Mac Barbecue. And uh, one of the things he really loves to do is to play games. And he likes a particular type of game where a lot of different people can play together. And since we can't be together anymore, he's been working on ways to play those same games in a group environment, and he's come up with kind of a unique tech solution to get us there. Is that a good yeah. uh, intro there, Barry? Absolutely, yeah. So it's the Jackbox series of games, which, again, they're very interactive with people that are typically all together, because you're going to watch a big screen to see what people are drawing or what answers are giving to funny questions, and then you use your iPad or your iPhone to actually answer them. So each person can do it on their personal device, and everybody watches the answers, and then you vote, and then everybody's laughing. It's a really good time. But nowadays, we can't really do that. So I'm like, we... Now, let me interrupt for a second. When when I'm in the room with you, and we're playing one of these Jackbox games, I'm using my phone to to draw or type or whatever, but I'm actually connected to the game through the internet, right? Right. You're using Jackbox.tv. So that's their cloud service that's coordinating all the different responses. So yeah. that already exists. Okay. It was... But My we just happen was, to be in the same room, but that's how we right. can see what's happening on screen. Because if you're just looking at your phone, you can't see what everybody else is doing. Exactly. Okay. And then you even, you even type your, your favorite answers and things like that on your screen, and then it'll show the consolidated answers for everybody up on the big screen. And so it's, it really is a lot of fun. And they have There's a lot of voting and, and silliness. <laughs> exactly. And I really enjoy doing this, and I do a lot with coworkers and friends here. and. When now that we're all at home for the time being, it was like, well, it's already hosted on the cloud. What can I do in terms of maybe a video conferencing call? And so I started looking at the options. Uh, Discord was one that was recommended, and I know it's a great collaboration tool, and I believe it can have like up to 10 players. I'm like, let's give this a shot. Well, the one challenge I had was as I'm hosting this, people can log in their personal screens to still play but they can't see the answers and the audio. I can do a screen share, but then the problem was that the audio wasn't coming through. So that was one problem I had to come figure out was I how think do you I also reroute? Have to pay, I think you also have to pay for uh, higher resolution. I think On Discord, right. 720p yeah. is free, which is is often tough to be able to see what's going on. Yeah, and yeah, I'd have to have it in full screen, and it was okay. But the challenge I had was that I had to figure out looping or getting the audio from the source screen out and distributed to everybody 
through Discord. So the main screen with all the everybody's answers and drawings and everything has audio to it. Right. Because they'll have pithy comments and they'll have funny, funny remarks. And then, of course, the scores and saying who's in the lead. And that was one challenge. So I looked at some different options and what I came across that's worked really well is Rogue Amoeba's uh, software called Loopback Audio. And uh, Paul Kafasis, who runs Rogue Amoeba, he's got great audio tools. And this one is is graphically designed to be pretty much idiot-proof. You just say, I want to go from the game, put it right into whatever chat software I'm using, and it's great. It works really well. The problem I had was that something about Discord would kind of choke on the amount of audio going through, and I could never really? really troubleshoot it. Yeah, I was using different Macs. I did a lot of troubleshooting, and it just in the complex audio where you had music and sound effects and, and spoken audio, it would cut out. That's that's really interesting because if you hear uh, Chit Chat Across the Pond with Bart and Security Bits, we are always in Discord, and we're, yeah. we're routing. I'm using loopback to route the audio through, and... Uh, that's interesting that 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 choked down the complex audio. Yeah, and it was just the game. Everybody else that was chatting, because we could all hear each other, that worked great. So I'm not really sure what that was. So I thought, well, maybe I'll look at some other solutions and see if it's me, <laughs> which is what I, I figured. Um, and I was concerned because at the time I was doing this, there was a lot of security issues around Zoom. And listening to you and Bart talk about it, uh, reading Glenn Fleisch, Fleischman's article, I was a I little bit this. concerned. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm like, let's give it a try. And reading it, I made sure I locked it down. It's password protected. I'm not recording it. And and I and kudos, I think Zoom has actually done a really good job in the last several weeks of clamping down the security they've done. Yeah, yeah, so, they've really, they definitely get the most improved award, like I said. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And so the other benefit is I'd still have to pay for like a, I'm doing a month to month just to see if it works out. But I can get up to 100 people. And mm-hmm. the neat thing about that is I can have eight people playing, but you can have up to 100 people, actually, I think even more, in the audience of Jackbox, which means people can watch what's happening. They can hear it. They they just necessarily can't draw or put an answer, oh, but uh, their votes two, still count. Two different limits here. Oh, their votes. Okay. So you're when you were talking about month to month, you're talking about in Jackbox or are you talking about in Zoom? Sorry, in Zoom. Yeah. Okay, so Zoom, you've got a limit, uh, but Jackbox also has a limit, right? A certain number of Correct. people are playing, but you can have audience members who are voting. Right. Oh, and that's okay. where I thought it'd be nice because when we're playing, and I and I opened this up to a whole bunch of friends because we're all at home, and I'm like, if anybody wants to join, let's do this. And we did. We had like 20 people join, and so a lot of people were just kind of in the background, just chatting away, having a good time. But then when it came to vote, the audience answers are consolidated into one. And it can actually influence who actually wins a specific game. So it's really okay. cool. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let's really open this up. So I was talking to our friend Dave Ginsburg, and he's like, hey, when are you going to do the next one? We should do this. And I was thinking, yeah, let's expand this out to our Midwest Mac barbecue audience. Let's take this back. <laughs> To, you know, my roots of hosting a barbecue in my backyard where I had 100 people By the way, there. the definition of a member of the Midwest, Midwest Mac Barbecue is that you're listening to this now and you like Mac stuff. Pretty much. I mean, you don't even have to like Mac stuff, probably. No, just just come on and hang out. <laughs> just and friend of Barry. And now, you, now you're all friends with Barry because you heard him here. So you know Barry. Right. And then <laughs> just be aware that I might show up at your house someday. <laughs> 
But so, I bring wait, gifts. But, but before you get too far into the Midwest Mac Barbecue uh, gameplay event that you're doing, so you're running the the main screen on your Mac and then sharing that screen as one of the video screens that people see in Zoom? Correct. So it's as if it were its own member. So it's got all the video and it's the host. So it can be set as the main screen to watch. And then everybody else is kind of, you know, Brady bunched around the screen around it. So, and, so I'm not, all my instances of Zoom have been everybody is little squares in Brady Bunch style or the person who's talking is, is big. Yeah. Is there a so, third option where one screen can by, be forced by the host? This is what we're looking at. I think so. And it might be because there's always audio coming through there that it just by default becomes the main one. Cause when okay. I, what I do is I also monitoring this from another screen just all together as a for our guest. And I have it as the main, uh, the main screen. So, Okay. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to verify that. I think it's it, an Pat told me that you could that you could force one screen to be main, but I think the user has to do it. Mm, maybe, yeah, I and it makes that sense that it would be because you're going to want to see the answers and all all the related gameplay. So then you're using Rogamiba's loopback to capture the audio from the 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 website for Jackbox, correct, on your Mac, and, it, and then you're making that a virtual source into Zoom. So instead exactly. of a microphone, you tell it, this is my Jackbox game. I want to shove that right in as the, as the audio input source. Right. And it works flawlessly. I haven't had any clipping issues. It's worked uh, tremendously well. And, and I even sometimes just do virtual little like wine nights with a couple local friends. And you they're you. like, it sounds great because I've done it to pipe in music. And it's just really kind of opened up the whole audio experience because I can make it a lot more fun. I have this camera looking outside. I put the little fire pit on. So. <laughs> I love it. I love the, it. It's all about the experience. I, I think the uh, this insidious thing about Zoom is that stuff works really well. Yeah. I mean, it we, we did a uh, a cocktail night with Steve's parents last night, and then as a surprise, had uh, Lindsay and Nolan and Forbes and Kyla and Nikki, and then the two new babies all on screen so that they, grandma and grandpa could see them and everything. And we had Forbes on his own phone, which turned out to be really lucky because he wanted to talk all the time. Aww. And yeah, it was adorable for a little while, but pretty soon you're just like, oh, okay, okay, oh, okay, <laughs> sweetie. Okay. So Nolan just reached over and muted and he didn't know he was muted. So he's still blah, 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 blah. And we can see him talking, but we didn't have to listen to him. That's awesome. Well, that's <laughs> we, perfect. We let him come back later. Yeah, I wish I could do that at some of my corporate meetings. Yeah, really. <laughs> Actually, as as host, you can mute people. I muted Grandpa yeah. last night just for the comedy, you know? <laughs> nice. Okay, uh, and so, it's, so- it's one of those good, bad things, real quick, about Zoom is that it's a really good product, and I like the user interface. It's really easy to use, and it, I can see why it's gotten widespread adoption, and I hope they really do continue to focus on the security. Yeah, yeah, I think th- I think they are. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. Okay, yep. so- now we understand the tools, which was the tech angle, but the game. So yes. what, how are you, how are you hosting this? What's the, uh, what's the mechanism for people to join in now that they're friends of Barry's? Right. So the best thing to do is one of two ways. If you just want to direct message me on Twitter. So it's Falk B F U L K B at Twitter, or you can just email me, which is the probably easiest one is just Barry Falk at gmail.com. So it's B A R R Y F U L K at gmail.com. And I'll do is I'll send you a link. Uh, the first one that we're doing. So obviously people will listen to this at different times. It'll be May 1st, but I think, you know, this will probably be an ongoing thing. Even once we start to get out, I think this is a great way of 
bringing in people from across the country, across the world. Maybe I can get uh, Martine to join us from the Netherlands. <laughs> you never know. Exactly. Uh, and uh, by the way, it might not be a uh, child-friendly uh, environment when Martine joins. Yes, that's a good point. It, the game does tend to sometimes uh, go into the gutter a bit. So I would recommend <laughs> keep this uh, adults only, yeah, at least really. for the first couple of times. And so, then you know, there are, actually are family-friendly filters that uh, are on Jackbox. So if you know that for sure you're going to have a small, a younger group, uh, you can turn that on. But so then you can't allow anybody to draw pictures is what you're saying. <laughs> can't draw pictures. You can't use certain keywords. Because I'm sorry, but, but the drawings often devolve. I, yeah, I, yes, I, or yes, maybe that's do. just my family. I don't know. No, no, it's clearly not. <laughs> okay, so uh, you said May first is going to be the first game. Uh, what time? In what time zone are you going to play? So we're going to start at about five o'clock Central Time. Um, I'm sure they'll always like anything. Will be a little testing and some glitches, but we'll start around then. But that's the nice thing too. People can jump in and jump out whenever. Okay. I'm going to try to keep it going for you know good three four hours. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. And I've watched some other people do this that have more professional setups and it works really well, but it tends, you know, if you have a focus group tends to be two hours and then you can see people start getting a little bit of fatigue because it's not the same as a cocktail party. We just kind of jump in and jump out. Mm. So I'm going to make it a little bit more, you know, feel free to leave, come and go as you want. So like an open uh, house. Exactly. And I think that'll be nice because. Uh, you know, talking to a couple of the local people here. So Dave, of course, uh, DJ George, who hosts uh, DJing at my, my parties, um, both huge Mac guys, and they're both like, we'll be in for however long you need us. Mm -hmm. So I'll have some anchors, oh, but good. even we won't have to play. Cause if I get lots of people playing and a bunch of people are like, Hey, I keep, you know, the, when I, there's a code that's given out on screen and that's how you get into play. If the same people keep getting in, I'll just say, ask them to step out for the, this round. So somebody I'll ask them what play. games. Exactly. And everybody's going to have their favorites. So it's like, if you don't like murder mystery party, hang out there for 20 minutes and then we'll play Quiplash. Okay. And okay. it's a lot of fun. And I'm sure it will be in some messaging and on Twitter. So people can give me feedback if they want in. But again, you need to, you need to ping me because it is a password protected room and I don't want anybody else in there and causing a, any silliness that, well, any nonsense. Silliness. <laughs> nonsense. You want silliness. So yes. people don't need to install anything on their phones. Correct. Uh, you, can, you can use the Zoom client if you have it, or you can use a web browser. Either but, way but works. But for the games, they don't need to install anything. They'll just be. Correct. Uh, they'll be given a link during when you're watching people play. You'll see a link come up. Yeah. It's quite literally going on any browser to jackbox.tv. And then it comes up and it asks you to put in the room code. And that's where. That's that code that I screen. give out is key to get into our particular game. You put in your name and you're good to go. It's really easy. I can't wait to see how you handle everybody's audio. Maybe you have everybody audio uh, off by Muted. default where they have yeah. to press the space bar to talk. I think that works well. And that's, again, one of the features I really enjoyed about Zoom. I'm like, oh, I can temporarily unmute myself by holding down the space bar, which is great for conference calls. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure Forbes comes in so you, he, he helps you out a lot. <laughs> okay, well, I'll make sure that I put the family-friendly filter on. <laughs> All right, Barry, this sounds really cool. I uh, I hope a bunch of people join you. This sounds like fun. Uh, probably the kind of thing that'll accelerate more people getting into it as time goes on, and then it'll be untenably large. That'll be, But I that's so. what we said about the barbecue. The barbecue was awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, looking forward to it. So I hope to see everybody there. 
Well, I hope you don't hear this uh, later than May 1st. I know that could probably happen to a lot of people. But uh, keep in mind, Barry loves to do stuff like this, but he will most likely do it again. So uh, if he does, I will mention it. Well, if you find that you learned something from the Podfeet podcast, or if you find them entertaining in any way, I'd like you to consider putting some of your hard-earned cash behind that to help the show. One of the ways you can do that is by using the PayPal donation button at podfeet.com slash PayPal. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com, right? Even donating money. Anyway, that's what Ralph did this week. I tried to get him to do an audio review for the show, which is another awesome way to support the show. But as we talked through what was involved, he decided he'd much rather send a donation than do a recording. And I was not going to argue with him. Anyway, if you don't have any spare money right now, and I know a lot of you are in that boat, ignore everything I just said. Take care of yourself and your families and do not give it another thought. Thank you to all of you, though, who do support the show in whatever way you can. Sometimes a product comes along in the Apple environment that you don't need, but you really want. Okay, most of the time, probably. But this year, it's the Magic Keyboard for iPads Pro. At $300 for the 11-inch keyboard and $350 for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, as Rob Dunwood would say, it costs a grip. You can buy an entire brand new 10.2-inch iPad for less than that. The 7th generation iPad, $329. So this is more than the keyboard for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Now, I've been a huge fan of the Smart Keyboard Folio for iPad Pro ever since it came out. At $200 for the 12.9-inch and $179 for the 11-inch iPad Pro, people used to complain about the price, but (laughs) now that price isn't looking too bad, is it, for $200? Anyway, at this point, you might be asking, what problem are you trying to solve, Allison? The only excuse I can make is that I wanted a new one because it was shiny. You get that, right? My old smartfolio is showing signs of wear, so I could throw that in as another excuse. Plus, it was my birthday, and that's what frivolous gifts are for. And work with me here. Well, before I start talking about the new Magic Keyboard for iPad, let's review what I liked about the Smart Keyboard Folio. First of all, compared to any other attached keyboard for iPad, it is significantly lighter. The Bridge Keyboard actually doubles the weight of the iPad, and the Logitech keyboards, while truly awesome typing devices, are super heavy too. The Keyboard Folio was the lightest of the bunch. Since I sport a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I do not need any extra weight added on. Before the Smart Keyboard Folio came out, there was the original Smart Keyboard for iPad. It was kind of floopy though, so it would bend a lot when you had it on an uneven surface like your lap. It was also a bit of an origami project to fold and unfold it. I got pretty good at it, but if I handed it to someone, they would be baffled at how to set it up. The Smart Keyboard Folio, again, which is still available, has a very sturdy platform bottom in in comparison. There's no floopiness, and it's very simple to fold and unfold. It has exactly two viewing angles, but I really only ever used one of the angles. It was great sitting on the counter in the bathroom for morning video podcast watching, and also still great in my lap on the couch. I also really liked typing on the Smart Keyboard Folio. I liked it, and I still do like it better than the keyboard on my 2016 MacBook Pro, and I still like it better than the new and improved keyboard on the 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro. Now, I know that's heresy to say that, but remember, keyboards are opinions, not facts. I've said it before, declaring the feel of a keyboard as categorically bad or good does not make sense because it's all about whether you like it or not. 
I like the Smart Keyboard Folios keyboard. Anyway, I've told you all about the Smart Keyboard Folio, so you can use it as a reference for what I like and don't like about the new Magic Keyboard for iPad. It also might help you make a decision between the two. For twice the price, the Magic Keyboard better be awesome. Let's start with the most important feature, typing. In my opinion, typing on the Magic Keyboard on a flat surface is an absolute delight. The surface of the keys is soft and smooth, which is really pleasing the touch of it. And the travel of the keys combined with the resistance is exactly balanced for me. The Magic Keyboard, as I'm sure you've seen, holds the iPad up almost like it's floating above the keyboard. Having it up like that is delightful. There's a price to be paid with the floating iPad, and that's that it isn't as stable as the Smart Folio. On a flat surface, it does sit flat, but on my lap in a chair, it has a tendency to rock back just a bit so that when I put my hands on it, I'm having to push it back down. The farther back I'm relaxing, like reclining in an easy chair, the better it is at sitting flat on my legs. Sitting upright in a chair like you would at a conference, the tilt would definitely bother me a little bit. I like to sit in bed in the morning with my first cup of coffee and doodle on the internet. I normally sit cross-legged, which I know is unusual for a 62-year-old, but I'm feeling pretty flexible in my dotage. I put the iPad Pro on a pillow in front of me, and I type to Pat and Helma and Dorothy. The new Magic Keyboard absolutely does not work sitting on a pillow. It falls back about 15 degrees. I tried pulling it way forward so it's tilted oddly toward me, and it sort of balanced, but I have to say, this device isn't made for pillows. With my legs stretched out straight, typing on it works great, though. I have to see if I can get used to that position. I have noticed one unfortunate side effect of the iPad floating above the keyboard that I didn't really expect. As I'm typing letters in the top row, the tops of my fingernails sometimes hit the bottom edge of the iPad. So like when I'm lifting up my fingers, it's tapping on the, uh, on the, the top of my fingernails. It's not like they get stuck there or anything, but it's just kind of an annoyance I didn't expect. Now, I imagine over time, my fingers might automatically adjust and I'll get used to it. I hope so. I'm writing this up on the iPad with the Magic Keyboard, so maybe by the end of you hearing this, you'll know if it had stopped happening. The Magic Keyboard comes with a built-in trackpad, and I really wondered where a trackpad would fit into the iPad life. It seems like we don't really need one since the iPad is basically a giant trackpad. The main place the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard rocks on iPadOS is when you're trying to finally place the cursor between two characters of text. It is so very much easier to place the, cur the cursor accurately in text with the trackpad than with your finger. Now, Apple spent some programming calories making the cursor in iPadOS adapt and change shape as you move it over different kinds of targets in apps. When you're not over any kind of target, it's a small gray circle. But if you slide over a button, it takes on the shape of that target. Unfortunately, not everything that looks like the same kind of target is truly the same under the hood. As a result, sometimes the cursor stays a circle when I expect it to change to another shape as I hover over something that looks like a button but was not programmed as a button. While entertaining to see the cursor change shape, I'm not sure that graphical change is much more than a parlor trick. Now, Alistair Jenks challenged me on that because uh, on that statement, calling it a parlor trick, because he said it's fantastic that it's actually showing you visually that you're over a button. And I agree. 
if it was consistent, but even within Apple apps, it isn't consistent. I, I looked at the Reminders app and only a few things that look like buttons are buttons. And, you know, text can be buttons. And so a lot of times it's a circle. Links don't show up uh, as buttons because they're not buttons. I don't know. I, I think they need to do some more work to get it to to actually be helpful. Right now, it's really kind of distracting because you think it's going to change, but it doesn't. So you don't, you can't really tell when it's going to and when it's not going to. Beyond text editing, using the trackpad to tap a target seems incredibly inefficient to me. Maybe it's a matter of getting into the habit of using the trackpad in order to realize the benefits, but right now it seems much faster to just reach up with my entire arm to tap a target with my finger than it does to move my finger from the keyboard to the trackpad and then slide around until I get to the target. You can buy with trackpad settings to speed up the movement, so I don't know, maybe with a faster setting I'd find it more efficient. I think of that lifting my giant arm thing because that was exactly what Steve Jobs said we would never want to do, and that's why they would never make a touchscreen Mac. There's one really super dumb thing about the trackpad. If you double tap with your plain old finger on the screen of an iPad or on an iPhone, you can select a word, and when highlighted, you will see two selection handles. If you can manage to grab one of those handles with your pudgy finger, you can drag it to select more text. Another method of selecting multiple words is to use your pudgy digit to double tap and then drag across the words you want. But not so with the Magic tra Keyboard's trackpad. If you double tap with the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard, you do not get the handles. You just get the one word and it doesn't get the handles to drag for more words. If you try to say push and drag on the single word that's selected to try to select more words, that doesn't work either. It picks the word up and it starts to move it around. I do not understand why they did it this way. It's so terrifically limiting, and I'm certain they're going to change that in a software update. Now, I should note that you can select a word with double click and then move the cursor to the end of what you want to select, hold down shift, and then tap with the trackpad, and you know, that does work. But even as you hear how clumsy it is to describe, it's not much less clumsy to execute. Here's another thing that can be fixed in software. My habit is still to use my fat finger to, to move the cursor in text. I have a tendency to go, oh, I want it to be there, and I tap with my finger. As soon as I do it, I realize that I can refine the location with the trackpad. But for some reason, it did not occur to the developers to have the cursor start moving right where I just tapped with my finger in the text. The cursor, when I grab the trackpad, it starts to move, but it's in some random, totally other location on screen. It's very disconcerting because your brain thinks, I just put the cursor there. Why is it not there? It's really unhelpful, and I hope they fix that. One of the greatest enhancements to macOS Catalina for me was the inclusion of Sidecar. This feature allows late model iPads paired with late model Macs to be used as an extra display. I know I'm seriously spoiled with a 27-inch 5K display paired with my MacBook Pro, but when I'm doing the live show, I need all the screen real estate I could get. You'd think I could use the display on my MacBook Pro for overflow applications, but you'd be wrong. Because of the location and angle of my laptop and the very narrow depth of field I have with my new man-made lenses from cataract surgery, it's just far enough away that I can't read the laptop screen. Because of its size, the iPad can be put right at a location that is in my focal range. So I drag the Discord chat room over there using Sidecar, and it never gets covered up by one of the 28 other apps I run to create the live show. I also love Sidecar when I'm away from my desk. One of my favorite uses is to throw a macOS browser window onto the iPad and use it to display my latest programming project. 
That way I can have lots of windows open on the laptop screen, but never obscure the output Safari window. I think I'm noticing a pattern here. It seems like I'm using the iPad with Sidecar as a way to combat my bad habit of sprinkling windows all over the place and constantly having to drag them around to find things. For some reason, the iPad screen becomes sacred to me and I only put one window over there. In any case, I bring up Sidecar in the discussion of the new Magic Keyboard because I think Apple made a couple of super dumb decisions with the implementation of Sidecar. No matter what your configuration of hardware is, the first dumb thing Apple did was make it so that you cannot use your fingers on the iPad screen to select or scroll when it's displaying a macOS window via Sidecar. Because it's an iPad, your brain thinks it's possible to use your fingers, but you can't use your fingers because macOS doesn't have a touch interface. You can oddly use the Apple Pencil to select things inside macOS on iPad. So it doesn't make any sense. You should be able to use your fingers. It is as inefficient as it sounds, though, to let go of the Mac keyboard, reach over, grab your pencil, and then tap something. I'm sure there's artistic reasons you'd want to use the pencil on screen, but I wish I could use my stubby little fingers, too. While you can't use your fingers on the iPad screen to scroll, you can use the attached keyboard on an iPad when it's in sidecar mode. In my use case of having the chat room on the iPad as a secondary screen, it is very natural to use the iPad's keyboard when interacting with macOS on iPad. This works perfectly with the original keyboard folio and the new Magic Keyboard. However, for some totally dumb, idiotic reason, Apple does not allow you to use the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard to move around and select on the iPad screen in a sidecar mode. Why the stick in heck can you use the keyboard and not the trackpad? That makes zero sense. This is another thing they can obviously fix in an update to iPadOS, but the only polite reason I can think of for this is that it just didn't occur to them to enable it. Maybe the iPadOS people didn't ever talk to the sidecar people on the macOS team. Now, someone out there is yelling at their device right now asking, why don't you just use the native Discord app on iPadOS for the live show? You could do everything you wanted then. You could use your fingers, you could use your trackpad, you could use your keyboard. Well, here's the problem. My voice and my recording applications output or output audio are both being piped through Rogue Amoeba's loopback software on the Mac to pipe it into the Discord chat so the live audience can hear me. If I use the native iPadOS app, the audience would hear my voice through the iPad's microphone instead of the good one, and they would not hear my recording app. So like when I was playing Barry's recording on this week's episode, they would never have been able to hear it. So that's why I don't use the native app on the iPad, and I use Sidecar to move it over to the iPad. All right, there's a lot of chatter on the internet about the angles of the new Magic Keyboard. Of course, I had to get out a trusty plastic protractor from the 1970s, highly accurate instrument, to compare the viewing angles on the Magic Keyboard to those on the Smartfolio keyboard. I know, I could have looked up to see what somebody else measured, but come on, plastic tro protractor, I could not resist it. The older generation Smartfolio keyboard has two angles and two angles only. Your choice is around 27 degrees or 42 degrees back from vertical. I never used it at the 27 degree angle, like I mentioned earlier. The only time I ever tried it at that 27 degree angle was when I was utterly exhausted and tried to watch or read something lying flat in bed with my iPad on my belly. I couldn't see the screen because it wasn't straight up enough. In contrast, the Magic Keyboard has continuous rotation, which got people super excited, but in usage has frustrated some. The range of motion is from 20 degrees forward of vertical to 35 degrees back. 
While the new keyboard has a much larger range of rotation, that's 55 degree range on the new keyboard versus only a 15 degree range on the old keyboard. It, it, while it does have that larger range, it can't go back quite as far as the old keyboard. In fact, it's shy by seven degrees, and that's bothered a lot of people. Just as I don't think it's fair to declare a keyboard bad or good, I don't think we can say that people bellyaching about that lost seven degrees are actually wrong. If I'd never had the other keyboard, I don't think I'd have ever said, I wish it went back farther. But their opinion is completely valid because, uh, you know, it's their opinion. It bothers them. It doesn't go back farther. They want it to. But it seems to me that that 35 degrees back is enough for me. Now, you might be wondering why they don't let it go back farther than 35 degrees. It's a problem with the center of gravity of the tablet itself. If you rotate it back much farther, it would start to fall backwards in more situations. Physics is a harsh mistress, my friend. But here's the good news. Remember that it can actually rotate forwards towards you by 20 degrees. This means that you can now lie down in bed and read or even watch video on the new smart keyboard and have a great viewing angle. And here's a pro tip. The measurements I made, and by the way, had Steve double check with our trusty plastic protractor, were with the case open in its full upright position. But the hinge on this is so tight that you can actually open it to a much shallower angle and still view the screen. So if the lock positions aren't enough range forward for you, try collapsing the hinge a little bit more. There's no trick to make it go back farther, though. I mentioned the hinge on the Magic Keyboard. It's a round metal cylinder, and on the left side, it has a USB-C charging port. No, you cannot plug in a mouse or a disk drive. Okay, that's not entirely true. You can plug in a mouse or a disk drive. They just won't do anything. This port is strictly for charging the iPad. Its main value is that you can now have a port on the left and the right, which is awesome, but has the extra advantage of putting the cable down low instead of hanging halfway up the side of the iPad. That's a very bad thing, though because my brain is trained to look for this ridiculous cable hanging off of the right-hand side. The first morning after I charge via the hinge port, I simply drag the iPad off the counter and nearly rip the charger off the wall because I simply didn't see it. It's possible I can be trained, though. But speaking of charging, my experience in just a couple of days of usage is that this keyboard is making my battery on my iPad drop like a stone. Normally, I never charge during the day because the 12.9-inch iPad Pro has a wicked long battery life. Imagine my surprise when at 9 p.m. on my first day with my Magic Keyboard, when I got a battery warning that said I was at 1% at 9 p.m. Now, first of all, a little more warning would have been lovely. I only had the new keyboard for about a half a day, so it really was an extraordinary drop in battery. As I was writing this article, I'd been typing for a long time, so the usage was much more than on the first day. At 3 p.m., I had to plug it in because it had dropped to 13%. I had been watching it drop, and I lost 12% of my battery in that last 45 minutes before I plugged it in. That just ain't right. I did a search on Twitter and found only a smattering of people chatting about that. Perhaps the number of people with them is fairly small right now, or perhaps it's not widespread. If it is a widespread problem, Apple will fix it. Here's the life on the bleeding edge. Now, remember early on when I mocked the bridge keyboard because it doubled the weight of the iPad? <laughs> yeah, all about that. The 12.9-inch iPad Pro weighs 645 grams on my kitchen scale, and the Magic Keyboard weighs 701 grams, more than doubles the weight. 
In comparison, the Smartfolio keyboard only weighs 401 grams, so the Magic Keyboard is 57% heavier than the Smart Keyboard Folio. Now, I think the trick to, to living with the weight of the new Magic Keyboard is don't buy a 12.9-inch iPad Pro and a MacBook Air, because I think that actually weighs more than the MacBook Air. Uh, so, it, you know, basically the iPad Pro is going to feel like a boat anchor with the Magic Keyboard attached. Instead, here's how you make it feel light. Buy the hefty 16-inch MacBook Pro, which weighs in at just under 2,000 grams, 1958 to be exact, and now the iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard feels pretty acceptable. See, I'm here for you with solutions. When I started writing this article using the Magic Keyboard and the iPad Pro, I was not actually sold on the device. I actually thought I might send it back. But then about halfway through writing the article, I switched back to the Smart Keyboard Folio. That's when I realized how much I truly love typing on this Magic Keyboard. The Smart Keyboard Folio feels harder to push down on the keys, and it's far less satisfying to type on. For me. I don't have metrics to back this up, but it also feels like my accuracy is higher on the new Magic Keyboard. Guess what else? Remember how the tops of my fingernails were hitting the underside of the floating iPad when I started writing the article? Well, I got used to it. I didn't notice it at all by the time I was done writing this article. So here's the deal. If you have a 2018 or later iPad Pro with the Smart Keyboard Folio and you have $300 to $350 to light on fire, run right out and get the new Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro because it's pretty awesome. But if you only have half that much money to light on fire and you don't have any keyboard at all uh, for your 2018 or later iPad Pro, then the Smart Keyboard Folio is amazing too. And remember, you'll be saving 300 grams of weight as well. Having a keyboard on an iPad of any kind, in my opinion, makes it much more useful device and one I can't live without. All right, I can live without it, but you know what I mean. All right, I'm going to make a little correction here to one of the things I said here. When I got done uh, recording that piece, I looked back over at the live show in uh, Discord. And remember how I said you can't scroll? You can't interact with your fingers? It turns out you can use two fingers to scroll, not one finger. I totally forgot, but I instinctively went over and did it. So you actually can use that. Uh, but you still can't use the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard. So that was the point of the article. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. We have a fantastic one from Trevor Drover, but I saved it for next week. Um, it's a doozy. And uh, you can send your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions to me uh, by emailing me at allison at And remember to send in your 15-year you know, memories, how did you find the show, all that kind of thing, also to allison at You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, like we said, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to become a patron? Go to podfeed.com slash Patreon. You want to do a, a PayPal donation like Ralph did? How do you find that? Podfeed.com slash PayPal. You want to join our Facebook group? Podfeed.com slash Facebook. Want to go to Slack where you can find Bart over there and a lot of people talking about programming and all kinds of crazy things in the Delete Me channel? That's at podfeed.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show and see all of the truly unusual gifs that uh, that Jason finds, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.